Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Concessions with me and Jared on the 2023 film Dream Scenario. We want to cover this one more in an off-the-cuff manner like this with our bonus episode because we had just seen it recently in our respective towns a couple days apart. And honestly, this was more trying to figure out how we felt about the movie. You know, it's still pretty fresh in our minds. We hadn't really sat down and exactly wrote dissertations on or anything. So, yeah, if you're in the same boat, you had just seen it and you're still kind of playing around with where you land on it. uh, Join us as we discuss 2023's Dream Scenario. Welcome, friends and family, to Concessions. I am Dan. And I'm Jared, and today we are here to prove our intelligence. Oh, I, I'm I'm Dan intelligent, if you ask me. Oh, Dan intelligent. We should <laughs> do a, a very in depth scientific study on Dan's to see uh, what makes him tick. Let me Dan explain it to you. All right, there's a lot oh, to go with Dan intelligence. Oh my God, we've already. Once, once you know, once we we get too big and you know we turn into like the Beatles or Fleetwood Mac and we just hate each other and the band breaks up, <laughs> you've already got you've already got several podcast names just just locked and loaded, man. Yeah, I'm. Um, it has been a blessing in my life that I have a name that's very easily punned. So there are so many stupid jokes I get to make off my name, Dan, where Jared, I mean, Jer, I guess you could throw that into yeah. a lot of things, but Jared, Jared that's oh no, Jared doesn't rhyme with anything. And <laughs> I, I spent years of my life uh, writing, uh, writing songs, uh, writing rap songs, even where I was, I tried really hard. I mean, and the obvious, the obvious way to go is like, Jared doesn't care about it. Like. I don't know, just to be like do a stupid slant rhyme. Yeah, even even if you allow yourself to get into slant rhyme territory, it's still a bunch of boo boo bullshit like you just did. <laughs> Dan, Dan, you could go for days. Oh, it's it's a blessing. Thank you, mother and father, for name. Actually, my older sister named me. Strangely enough. Oh, that's so, cool. Th- thank that's you to really my sweet. sister Kelly. Oh, <laughs> Kelly, that's really sweet of you. She's like this dumb idiot is going to have a lot of fun rhyming this name. This this newborn infant looks like someone who would be stupid enough to have a lifetime of pleasure making Dan puns. She's correct. Yeah. We got Dan intelligence, Dan splaining. Oh my god! <laughs> so word man comes in. I I just immediately shifted over to Dan. It's way funnier. Dan child, fire Dan. You t- Dan child idiot. <laughs> <laughs> from a real day oh my god oh this is so good dan child what are you drinking <laughs> well i'll tell you jared adult uh it is uh once again i'm sure i've had this on the podcast before but a classic sculpin ipa from ballast point san diego's finest ipa out there um i also have uh in uh, letting the intrusive thoughts win i have an airplane bottle like one of those uh, airport looking tiny bottles of fireball in my hand because I was Ubering back from a brewery earlier today. As I'm sitting there waiting for the brewery, there's an unopened bottle of fireball sitting on a table at a taco stand that I was sitting in front of. I looked at it. I noticed it was unopened, so hygienic, and I took it, and I don't know what to do with it yet. I haven't and decided if I'm going to drink it or not, but it's yeah. here with me. And it's self-cleaning, even if it was already open. Um, wow, <laughs> so you were already... Leaving the brewery where you found the fireball, you're going to drink the fireball. That's going to lead to even more bad decisions. It just feeds itself. And I think that's what alcoholism is. Yeah. You know, um, 
no good deed left unpunished, you know? Yeah, well, let's keep it going. I've got this um, this Greenwood Cider Company. Lincolnberry. Oh, I love Greenwood. Yeah, Lincolnberry uh, Hard Cider. I went to a very bougie grocery store today, and uh, that was one of the bougie cider options that they had. When I you would usually go for like an incline cider or um, like one of those more widely distributed ones, but I got something real bougie and local today, and it is very good. Uh, the lingonberry taste just makes me feel like every time I take a drink, it's a little bit of Ikea. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, where's your Angry Orchard? You could have gotten that. Uh, no, I need some like I need some meatball cider to go with this. <laughs> the, horrid, disgusting. I do love for the this you know our huge Seattle congregation that uh, listens to this and you, Jared, up in Seattle. There's a Seattle. There's a cidery up in uh, Capitol Hill that I really love, and that's where I found Greenwood. Um, I forget what it's called specifically, but they've got this like old like Moby Dick style nautical theme inside and like, Oh, it's, it's so excellent. Like some of the best side I've ever had are, are in there. I, I need to figure it out and make them sponsor us. Speaking of, uh, um, establishments, local establishments with a Moby Dick nautical theme, Pequod's pizza <laughs> in, uh, Chicago, uh, local staple, Dan, having grown up outside of Chicago. Oh, you know, never, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, he was in Chicago and he's texting me. It's like, oh, I'm getting deep dish. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Where'd you go? Luminati's, Giordano's, Gino Z's, like the classic. Now I'm at Pequod's. I'm like, what? And I thought I was stupid for a second. Then I hit up some of my friends who are also from Chicago and they're like, I've never heard of Pequod's in my life. And I guess it's like a very local to this particular part of Chicago land that they, that people really love it. And so Wrigleyville. Just yeah, just particularly Wrigleyville. I didn't spend too much time on the north side. I'm a well, I, I was more on the west side, but yeah. Now I need to try Pequod's next time I'm in Chicago. It was all right. <laughs> it's fine. I think I like Giordano's better. Oh, uh, I, love Giordano's. I would say Lou Malnati's and Pequod's maybe about neck and neck, but but Giordano's beats them out just a little bit. Anyway, none of that is even really pizza. Oh, it's a casserole. Pizza casserole. It's a, it's a casserole, like most things in the Midwest. It's a casserole. Mm. Put meat on your bones, all right? Absolutely. Um, well, today we're here to maybe shoot from the hip a little bit more than we usually do. Usually when we go, come into an episode, we have pondered over a specific movie, maybe for weeks, maybe for months. Uh, we have an outline that we have hashed out. We've maybe planned out a little bit of the, the main points we want to touch on for some of the mo movies that we do on a weekly basis. Uh, we're recording a couple episodes this week because we both saw dream scenario mm -hmm. and we pretty quickly afterwards found out that one of us liked it a little bit more than the others. I think I've got some data here to share uh, the old letterboxed. <laughs> I, I gave it four stars out of five. Dan, Two stars out of five for Nick Cage's uh, latest. Let me at least uh, say critical darling. Complicated too, a complex too. I don't rate on simple binaries. All right, this is deeply and multifaceted. When I put a number down, all right. Uh, well, it's not a binary. It's out of five, and you selected <laughs> the number two. A, I don't know what the word five or ten, I guess, because you can do half. So decary. I bet there's a, a real word for it, but I wouldn't even know how to Google it. <laughs> Binary for 10. I don't know. 
Okay, let's see what happens when I say binary <laughs> for 10. While he's Googling that. Yeah, we... Uh... Oh, ex- <laughs> it gave me the, the actual, like, binary for, for 10. Oh. Which in binary, 10 is 1010. 10, yeah, 1010 Aerie. That's, yeah, I think that's the word, actually. Um, but as you can tell, as Jared was saying, this is uh, completely... Uh, off the cuff we have no structure to this kind of like if anyone had listened to the saw episode earlier that's essentially how these random episodes that will pump out uh, on occasion happen where we just both happen to see a movie there seems to be enough meat on the bones to talk about and it's like all right let's just like throw up the recorder for about 45 minutes to an hour and see if we got anything um if it's total garbage we apologize yeah but it won't be because we're awesome uh so Dream Scenario uh, is written and directed by Christopher Borgley. Borgley? I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I also uh, want to say Christopher. I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I bet I bet that his Norwegian friends and family uh, shortened his name to Christoph and not, mm. not Chris. Maybe maybe his American friends call him Chris. In any case, he uh, he wrote and directed this movie uh, hot off the some would say success of Sick of Myself, um, which yeah was fairly well liked, even if some people in the room didn't like it very much. Hmm. And uh, I didn't see it. So I don't know. For all I know, it's terrible. All I know is that a lot of people said it was good. This movie stars a guy named Nicholas Cage. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Cage. And, Cage. Uh, uh, Coppola. <laughs> and uh, it also stars Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah, Tim Meadows, and the one-two Dylan Punch of Dylan Galula and Dylan Baker. Uh, <laughs> really nice to see Dylan Baker in a, in a movie on the big screen. It's been a while since I've seen him in anything at the cinema and we watched him in Trick or Treat pretty recently, and uh, oh, he's a, yeah. he's a he's a dang good actor, and he's dang good in this. Uh, Dylan Galula is uh, the young lady who, uh, who plays Molly in the movie. So we got a couple Dylans, a couple different sexes represented amongst the Dylans. Dan, what do you make of Dream Scenario? Well, another one that we should throw in that I I didn't realize that he was a big deal until after I watched the movie and saw some commentary. But uh, a fellow by the name of Noah Centenio Centenio, he's like a kind of a not a teeny bopper star at least but like he's he's big among the youths and so that when he was used as like a tiktok star it like it was very much an in joke on his own uh image i suppose it'd be like if you know 15 years ago if justin bieber was playing the same role oh neat and he played a character named dylan (laughs) (laughs) it's a big dylan movie uh, which actually I'm going to, I'm going to lean into that. Yeah. This movie has huge Dylan energy and that makes sense <laughs> to me at least. So long story short. Yeah. I'm the detractor here. Actually, let's start with what we agree on. I think that's uh that's a little more fun. Let's build a base where I think we both agree. I was so on board with this movie for the first 45 minutes to an hour, right up until spoilers already the, the c- climax of my enjoyment uh, was the come fart? No, no, sorry. The fart come fart joke was <laughs> sublime. I I giggled. I made a high pitched squeal of sorts that I then immediately checked my surroundings to make sure no one heard because I was having a great time. But that was probably the last joke I laughed at in the entire movie. Um, yeah, but yeah, this guy's graduating. Uh, fart come loudly. <laughs> 
because he's a professor. You get it? Uh, oh, no. stupid! It's true. Oh, this episode is awesome. Um, this is worse than the than the one that we first. I for some reason decided to publish the Office Space one where we're high. I think we're even dumber on this one somehow. Uh, Stone Cold sober over here too. <laughs> this is like my third beer, but you know I may as well be. I'm mostly sober. But yeah, the the setup I thought was excellent. Uh, I remember seeing the the trailer uh, leading into it. It was a fascinating idea. It was very like Charlie Kaufman esque uh, of you know Nick Cage or is playing this like essentially the most regular schmuck on the planet, um, and he is infiltrating everyone's dreams, and he's just kind of chilling there doing nothing. And I thought that was like a very interesting idea that like, what if everyone not only was dreaming about you, but when they dream about you, you're completely inept or you're completely impotent. You, you, you mean nothing in their dreams other than you exist. Like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, that's really fascinating. Uh, I'm so in on this. And yeah, uh, I'm just going to call him Christopher Borgley. I didn't love sick of myself. I actually saw that earlier this year too, but he definitely has some good satirical chops has some good comedic filmmaking uh, abilities. So I was more than willing to like give him another shot. Uh, this was a fascinating idea. Nick Cage is awesome. It's produced by Ari Aster, which I think is very important to this as well. Yeah. Um, and so I was going in with pretty, pretty good graces. I was, I was ready to really enjoy it. And yeah, all the jokes were really landing. The satire was really funny about like, yeah, what if you went viral but like in people's subconscious instead of, you know, on the internet, which is, you know, what the whole joke was working on for or the metaphor was yeah. the whole time. And yeah. And then it culminates at least in the last moment when I was really having a good time where it's like now Nick Cage is starting to act in one of the dreams where he, it, it, it's a sex dream where he's behaving sexually towards someone <laughs> and, and the, uh, the, like the marketing girl, or uh, I guess I would call her marketing or the media girl. Um, I don't know what her role was exactly. Basically like wanted him to reenact the dream <laughs> that she, like yeah. these like really potent sex dreams that she was having around about him. And in doing it, like it, it shows in kind of a Charlie Kaufman way, just like how pathetic and human this guy is compared to like, you know, a dream scenario. And it it goes like, he's like trying to like cheat on his wife with this like 23 year old girl, but he can't because like when he gets turned on, his like, you know, his whole stomach and stuff like flips over and he's starting to like fart every once in a while. Yeah. And the girl's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like, okay, we can keep the dream going. We can keep the fantasy going. Like, I really want this to work. Like, it's fine. You farted, whatever. Who cares? Uh, but yeah, you're like the moment she makes contact with his dick, he just immediately comes and yeah. farts while he's coming. Yep. American pie style. Just oh, I, and I mean, fellas, relatable moments. You know, that's where the best humor comes from is relatable yeah, moments. It totally happens. <laughs> happens to me all the time. Even when I'm by myself. <laughs> just let the whole, you know, you let the whole lower body relax a little bit. Things just start flowing. And that, okay, that scene in particular, they also, Borgley, he actually goes so far as to, remove some of the mental blocks that he may have had like for instance like any of the guilt around doing this has evaporated already because uh he has it on pretty good authority that his wife is is cheating on him and mm-hmm. successfully cheating on him successful and uh yeah and uh still still um he's just as impotent as he was 
in everyone's dreams besides Molly's. But then, of course, that is the the first sign that he's <laughs> beginning to take a more uh, active role in these people's dreams. And uh, slowly but surely, uh, all of uh, just his total, his banality morphs into sadistic rage in their dreams. And he starts you know, torturing and molesting and, and murdering them in their dreams. And of course that's when he's canceled. Um, for me, I, I thought that even just like peeling one layer, additional layer back, just the fact that he becomes world famous mm. for no good reason at all. And is then thrown to the wayside and condemned and, really just like banished from society also for no good reason at all is is more to the point and like more demonstrating this movie's about sort of the i don't know the randomness of fame uh, particularly in meme culture and um just the fickleness of fame and virality and just how hmm. quickly you can be turned on when you're a celebrity, particularly one of those who uh, hasn't anchored their fame in something extraordinary, um, which happens more and more and more, or substantial at all, yeah, which is ha- happens more and more and more often these days. Mm-hmm. And like particularly, um, maybe Cage himself, where like he is this brilliant actor, and once upon a time he was known as this brilliant act, um, and then. Now, I guess also once upon a time, but but somewhat more recent time, his the public perception of him morphed into this like outlandish caricature, mm. overacting, willing to be in any movie at all type of persona. He became a meme for years, it felt like. And uh, now he's back and he's been back for years. He's like post meme now. He's post meme and the way that the movie encapsulates that fickleness, I thought was pretty cool and pretty, pretty clever, particularly even with the, like the meta casting element of it. Um, but bottom line, even like all that having been said, this is a great Nicolas Cage performance. Oh yeah. He, he plays such a fucking loser from the, like the moment he opens his mouth, he has this kind of like whiny affect about him the entire yeah. time. Yep, this very like soft-spoken, a... whiny, but also... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, but, like, very arrogant, too. Yeah, all yeah, all <laughs> of it. Just the worst combination. <laughs> you, you nailed it, man. Um, and watching that, or, or, or thinking you're going to watch that sort of unravel, and, uh, you know, the real him will emerge from it, and just the constant, constant disappointment that it never does... Like this extraordinary circumstance does nothing to change him from that weaselly, whiny, arrogant, uh, forgettable, just random dude. Uh, it's it's agonizing to watch, and I really enjoyed it for the most part. Yeah, and and this is one of those interesting things. And with a lot of satire, I feel like this is the frustration where it's like all these things are really fascinating to talk about. And I really love the ideas that are in this film, which is so frustrating to me because when it and now you get to the point where it's after the 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 glorious fart cum joke, 
that now he, yeah, he's starting to be sinister in people's dreams and he essentially gets canceled because people don't want to be around him because they're threatened by him or they feel threatened by him. And I just really don't think the sat, the intent of the satire doesn't land. I'm not sure what the intent, I'm sure the intent had to do something like what we were just talking about earlier, earlier about like the fickle waves of virality and what happens when you get picked up and then thrown off to the side. But because every character in this film is kind of grounded, like no one's acting absurd. It's just, there's an absurd situation that all these normal people are put in. You, you heighten some people a little bit just for comedic effect. But so by doing that and then really centering that they're like young people, college students particularly are the ones that are maybe not driving Nick, cages like cancellation but at least like our the main focus on it all i can pick up from this movie at the end is just like everyone's so sensitive these days and like you know we all just get upset over nothing like nick cage didn't hurt anyone now everyone's getting mad at him he's getting canceled for doing nothing like oh isn't that just like how internet culture is like it's just the outrage machine and these these college students are just so soft and they can't like they got to be protected all the time and and then like doubled down where like there was this chunk of time after the the, the farts come scene, which is what we will officially call it that, that uh, maybe about 20 minutes later, all of a sudden I realized I wasn't having as much fun. Like mm -hmm. I, I felt that in myself. I didn't quite know why yet, but I just like subjectively was like, hmm, I was having a great time these first 45 minutes. And I realized like I'm not like quite at that peak anymore. I'm like, eh, you know, it's the middle. It's the middle of the second act that happens, whatever. But then it's when it got to the TikTok ad. I'm like, oh, this is this is stupid. This oh, is the very, the, the very end. Yeah, this is mean spirited. It's just pointing at like people in their late teens, early twenties, and just calling them dumb. Like it, they may as well have said like these kids and their TikToks. They're they're just so focused on their dumb fancy phones that they don't they don't know the real life. And like when they put that bit in, which like is, it's a fun satirical bit of if there was a machine where you could literally advertise into people's brains and I get what they're doing or what he's trying to do. in that is like the further commodification of human consciousness. Like here's the next step or here's a logical conclusion. But like the way it was executed, at least for me, was all it really pointed at. It didn't point at anything systemic, which I think satire is the best at doing. It didn't point at anything broader about the human condition or the world we live in. It just pointed at this particular subgroup of like hot, dumb people in in beautiful places and said, aren't these people idiots? Aren't they self-involved and narcissistic? And like, okay, yeah, um, got it. Like in TikTok influencers and hype houses are kind of self-involved. Cool. I didn't take that from from the ending at all. Really? Well, yeah. and that's the funny thing is when it it tried to have this like emotional core with like Nick Cage and his wife when there's like the imagined uh, reconciliation thing it or that they were having. It landed like nothing for me because oh whole, yeah 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 the whole movie had no emotional core. This whole movie hated everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, that the very very end that you're describing, yeah, 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 didn't at all grab me. It could have been completely excised from the movie, and my level of enjoyment would have been exactly the same. I, like the level, uh, you know, to which it affected me would be exactly the same. But I quite liked how at the end, this thing that was unique or unusual about this timid, timid man 
has been commoditized in such a way that he was too inept or or too mm. too uh impotent not in a position to, to, to not in a position to right like he just was unable and 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 unwilling to capitalize on this on this thing that's happening like he to his own detriment he he stuck to his guns and he was stubborn and uh didn't want to be known for that and um really in the hands of of anyone with some ambition like some ambition, you know, outside of, of like their own, like very, very kind of specific field. Uh, yeah. In, in this society, someone's going to capitalize in it, on it. Someone's going to whore it out. Someone's going to put some resources into it, bring resources out of it. And that is like uh, t- tale as old as time, or at least as old as capitalism. And uh, I thought that was quite funny. And um, well, now let me, uh, that's getting my noodle going a little bit where, you know, this happens all the time where something organically happens virally, right? Like, let's Barbenheimer. Say Barbenheimer, a great example. Of this. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly where my mind was going. And whenever you find a viral meme that actually works, sort of what I would say, like more of a grassroots sort of, uh, mo- not movement, but just kind of cultural moment, you know, companies are going to try and repeat it. They're going to, they're now going to jump in and try and manufacture it. And that's what I think is different from this movie. The manufactured version is always so fucking bad compared to the natural viral moment that created it and what this movie is implying is that the people who did take this natural viral moment and well the natural viral moment went poorly actually (laughs) and it's the uh the constructed forces of capital that made this not good but workable so it's actually in a weird way while it's like saying this is bad and like the movie clearly doesn't like the I forget what it's called the wristband thing where you can advertise in dreams. It starts with an N, um, like newbie or something like that. But it's saying like, oh, but they did it right, like they did it effectively. Where Nick Cage did not. Where like virality kind of works the other way around. I think in real life. Sure. And so I like I I just I struggle to see I see the bones of what's being attempted to comment on. But in the execution, I struggle to see much more than just like, ha, 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 people are stupid, aren't they? Don't you agree? You're one of the smart ones because you can see how dumb the people are. And like, it's that kind of satire that like, eh, it's just not for me. I don't know. Oh, makes me feel good. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. This movie didn't make me feel good at all. No, no, no one should come out of this. This is not a feel good movie. No, not not. And, and I think that's a good uh, that's a good little segue into just the fact that uh, this movie is like very much produced by Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Like this could like if he if he, if some there was some mechanism for him to take credit for this movie and he was like, hey, I, you know, I, I wrote and directed this this movie with Nick Cage around the same time I was making Bo is Afraid. I got two movies coming out this year. This is Ari Aster's new movie. I would a thousand percent believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah um it this movie is funny like there is there's definitely character moments that made me laugh quite a bit outside of just like the broad stuff that we already talked about with like the fart and the cum and the fart um there was a lot of really like a lot of broad small, high-minded stuff yes yeah. yeah no there was a lot of really small subtle like uh character jokes here and there where he reacts to something a certain way or we learn something about him that you know blink and you miss it you've learned this thing about paul 
And the only reason those jokes work is because the character is so well drawn, both on the page and by Cage, Page and Cage. And um, oh man, we got to use that when we talk about Nick Cage movies. But he, it, it, I think that's a, a really difficult thing to do in any movie, particularly on first viewing. A lot of that stuff rewards repeat viewings where you've seen this whole movie you know this character so well that when you watch it again you're noticing little jokes about him that only land because you know this person so well mm-hmm. i was getting a ton of that on first watch mm. and to me that's a, a major sign of success uh the other thing is this movie is scary like uh far scarier than i thought it was going to be going in like the trailers make it out to be a little bit whimsical a little bit funny you know heady all those things you and Jackson both said Charlie Kaufman a couple times mm-hmm. you watch it. And this movie's full of like horror set pieces. Oh, the some of them were terrifying. Some of them are quite spine tingling. Yeah. Um, I think of the moment where the burned up naked man is chasing his, the guy, uh, you know, Paul's student. Yeah. Yeah. Through, through like this, like war zone or something. They're hiding behind a tree mm-hmm. together. It's a jump scare that caps it off after quite a bit of suspense the sex dream molly's sex dream where he oh, where, yeah. where paul is first just in the dark corner on the other side of the room very threatening v- very hereditary like mm-hmm. um just shadows in the corner type of thing yeah the the dreams where he becomes kind of sinister and murderous a lot of them are quite shocking quite scary but the whole thing has sort of a uneasy sinister tone about it almost uh like a li- slightly lighter version of bo is afraid yeah, that's a very fair comparison. Um, and I think that's what... Because you're you're hearing me agree with a lot of the praise for this one. A lot of the, the things that really work well. And that's like... Those are the most frustrating movies for me. Where like... It, it's got a bold idea. It's well crafted. It's pretty well executed in a lot of ways. But then... Like seeing how much careful thought has been put into this... And seeing it come to fruition successfully in so many ways makes it so much more frustrating when it doesn't work for me. If that makes sense, from like the like a, from like a message or meaning point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're like you know when we watched and did an episode on Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Like when that one didn't land for me, I'm like, eh, you know, eh, yeah, them's the breaks. Okay, fine. Uh, but this one just had so much going for it, and I was so excited to see what they're gonna do with it. It kind of reminds me not to just you know throw astray at another movie but remember we went and saw night house together and i felt the same way where there was just like so much in the setup and i was so interested in what they were going to do with all these ideas and these themes and then when it finally came to time to land it i was like oh well i mean i guess that's the way that we could go with it yeah i don't know that doesn't that doesn't matter quite as much to me. Like I enjoyed the ride all the way up until maybe the last like five, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So like, it was like an hour and a half at least of solid horror comedy. For yeah. Me. Which you can get 90 minutes of solid horror comedy. Like who am I to judge? It's <laughs> um, not easy to do. I was like, I wasn't really caring so much about, you know, we get the time jump. We get the, the dream traveling technology that's been invented by, uh, Nicholas Braun from Succession in, in a in a brief cameo. That, that's a great but, meta joke if that's on purpose. Yeah, I think I think that casting is right along with the meta Nick Cage casting, where yeah, that character is like could totally just be the character from Succession, like using <laughs> his wealth on stupid shit in the near future. Yeah, but still making a ton of money off of it. 
definitely believable. Um, yeah, I, I was not all that into that. You know, he had his like Lydia Tar esque uh, mm. inter- international tour where he has to go overseas to find Lydia Tar esque fighting cancel culture thing. Where that was a good joke. Was like you could go on Joe Rogan. And talk about okay that. that that's pretty funny yeah all the stuff with michael sarah was michael sarah oh my is god so good in this movie <laughs> we're, we're experiencing a nice uh renaissance right now yeah a, a serenaissance and i'm 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 here for it between this movie and barbie and he had a, another movie come out there was like a little indie picture that got some really good reviews a couple months ago with sophia lillis is also in it i'm forgetting the name of it but i heard it's good I'm here for Michael Sarah making his comeback. I would love to see him just like knock some really serious roles out of the park because he crushed it in this movie. I oh. need to see Michael Sarah in a movie where he's this good, but he's the lead. I would be uh, the adults. Is that what you're looking at? Or yeah, the, the adults. Hmm. Okay, I need to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I love Michael Sarah. He's so good in it. Like even all the way down to just like the little character notes of like his hat. I don't know why I was so focused on his hat and his shitty yeah. beard, where it's like, yeah, that's what like a guy for like the next buzzfeed like uh kind of media empire would look like when he's trying to get his silly bullshit off the ground i have a question for you what does it say about me that i would have liked to see a movie where everything plays out exactly as it does in the first like 20 30 minutes then he does a sprite commercial he has i wanted to see the commercial i thought he has a he has obama dream about him (laughs) he he successfully has sex with that assistant from the PR company. Oh, where everything like, goes great. Everything just goes great. And uh maybe and 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 but maybe at a certain point, like it it kind of he gets he gets caned, right? He gets citizen caned or he gets Daniel Plane. Oh, yeah, it's the, monkey by the end, thing where he gets but, everything yeah, he wants. He's yeah. in this gilded cage, he's like publishing papers about ants. Wait, and, gilded, uh, gilded what? A gilded hmm? oh i got caged and Um, yeah and and i I would love to see that movie where maybe there is some sort of rising action and it isn't all just like just him getting shit on endlessly yeah and i kind of now that you mention it i feel like i was emotionally setting myself up for that like especially by the time he got into the the the, like focus meeting and they were saying like what do you want to do i was thinking even though he he's like oh i want to write about you know fucking ants i thought he was gonna cave at no not cage but cave and do the sprite commercial and everything was gonna go great and yeah like you were saying it's gonna be like a gilded cage kind of satire where he gets everything he ever wished for um and has to deal with that i almost wouldn't be surprised if that version was written as well in the process of this story because mm. it really does seem like it could be a natural progression like I, I i know i'm sure you've done this before too where it's like you if you're writing something you write two different branching versions of it and you see which one feels better and you just kind of run with that and I, I i wouldn't be surprised if that version exists somewhere right at least in the mind of the creator um but yeah i think you're right i think i would have been more interested in that because of what you were talking about earlier where Nick Cage doesn't really have any character development. He's kind of the same guy the whole time. You're just kind of seeing more revealed, which is fine. You can do that. There are plenty of stories that do that successfully. Uh, But this would have had Nick Cage actually, he would actually have to start making choices and start being uh, directly involved in the narrative because you have to start saying yes and no and and things would be, uh, he would be acting on the story where this is very much like, and that's part of the satire, I suppose, like, 
the outside world is acting upon him and just oppressing him and he's the victim. I think that might be the problem is that even though the satire, like the movie is supposed to make him seem like he's like this false victim and like that, that apology scene is so fucking funny. Oh, too. oh my yeah. God. He's it's so whiny. So cringy. Oh my God. <laughs> and he starts off, he starts off doing okay. And then it just becomes so self-serving. It's self so self-pitying. Yeah. But just hum- humiliating. Yeah. For everyone. And even though it's so clear or the movie or the story makes that very clear that like, Hey, don't root for this guy. The bones of the story still makes it clear. Like he is the victim. Like he didn't do anything wrong. Like yeah. he just happened to pop in this dream. So like, him being this self-pitying and like thinking I'm the biggest victim of his all of it all, like he's not completely incorrect there. Where I mean, until the end where he starts like you know harming people because people like there's like this sort of like the hunt, like uh uh that's a great film that's about like a mass hysteria thing where the mass hysteria then kind of imposes itself upon him and makes or insists itself upon him so he starts making decisions like when he breaks that that's, that's a pretty funny bit too where he breaks like the the uh assistant principal or the principal's hand or something like that and now it looks like he attacked her um but really up until that point like he's kind of right he is the victim of oh. things outside of his control i mean he's still still is once the one that assistant principal lady breaks her own yeah, hand accidentally yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would I would argue though that he does have like fatal flaws that oh, really yeah. get him down. Like, right, he's he has this unfortunate, extraordinary scenario uh thrust upon him, right? A dream scenario of sorts. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Oh man, he said the thing. <laughs> and uh you know, he reacts to it poorly though. Like he he digs his heels in, he he thinks that he is big enough and competent enough and and mm. charismatic enough to actually guide it to a specific point. Yeah. Right, like he really does. No, yeah, you're right, you're right. These things. And uh he he handles it so poorly, he reacts to it so poorly. He his rigidness and his um you know, his his like you know, his myopic nature really really leads to his downfall, losing his family, losing everything, losing his dignity by the end like lydia tar and uh man this movie's so similar to tar um (laughs) actually but way funnier and way scarier and not as good um because i did find tar very funny yeah no tar tar is funny too tar is really funny too i think this movie is a little bit more funnier yeah outwardly funny yeah yeah Yeah, you had to dig up for the humor a little bit more in tar but no it, it is funny in similar ways um, I have a con- I've got a concession to make. Uh, I've down da- because of this conversation, I've downgraded to three stars. Oh, I've split the difference between my original uh, rating, Dan's original rating. I think we've arrived somewhere near the truth at three stars. <laughs> the, the true rating. You know what? And because and that's what when I was thinking about like, and in general with Letterbox, like it's stupid to put a quantified number on something yeah. like art, which is so subjective. No, no, no. S- six out of ten. No, no, six out of ten is fair, but I was thinking for even my own when I wound up giving a two, which is a four out of ten. It's like the problem is there are things in this that are ten out of ten, pitch fucking perfect, like nailed it. But yeah, for the and it's interesting that uh, I, th- I think this is the reason why we did concessions in the first place is like I I got 
so hung up and I'm so like, it's such a priority to me that if something doesn't thematically land, the whole thing is ruined essentially. Yeah. Like all of the excellent craft, all of the, you know, Nick Cage's pitch perfect. Like um, there's so much like those dream sequences are excellent. The jokes land. Um, but if it doesn't thematically resonate with me, it's just nothing doesn't do anything for me. So there are these aspects in my mind that like are, are just singing. Yeah which almost makes it even worse because there's these parts that sing, but it can't like the, the overall message and the, the, the overall way that the themes conclude, like just completely undercut it for me. And I, at least for me personally, that, that damns it where, um, because you have so much more knowledge of the craft you have, and you focus much more on that and you're, you're much more attuned to it. You're going to be more willing. You're going to be more able to appreciate that at a higher level. Perhaps, but I, I think it, it's it's more to the point where like the you know a, a deeper meaning or um, kind of layers of thematic resonance just isn't that important to me compared to the the craft stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's um, different priorities, and that's the fun of art, isn't it? Yeah, but actually, uh, the more we've talked through it, the more that I think some of the some of the messaging in this movie that I do care about doesn't didn't land as, as well as I really thought it did on first glance. Hmm. And um, hence why I've downgraded from four stars to three. Well, well, in, in the, in the spirit of sportsmanship, I might give it a 2.5. Then I might give it a little half star. Get a little... How about, how about three all the way to three, three is a positive review. Six out of 10. That's, that's a failing grade. Six, oh, see, I don't go by like school grades. I go by like if you're over five, you're above average. That's good. This movie is definitely above average. Oh, that's true, but you're right. Like, there are things that are so above average. Oh, I hate quantifying art, it's so stupid. Ugh. Yeah, like, like for instance, I saw this movie, Picnic at Hanging Rock, <laughs> that a lot of Australians hold in very high regard, and it wasn't very good. It was like I gave it a two point five. This Whoop. movie was better than Picnic at Hanging Rock for sure. We have been our huge Australian user base has just signed off. Listen to our walkabout episode. That movie is better <laughs> in every way than Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, and then eventually we are going to do Mad Max for sure. Yeah, I want to do. Uh, I want to do like one episode on Mad Max's one through three. We'll do a Furiosa episode when that comes out, and then a whole episode on Fury Road. <laughs> so. Jared, based on your experience with Dream Scenario, I think we've kind of... Tar. Tar. Tar is going to be a recommendation with this. Yeah. I'm going to love it. I think that's kind of great. Yeah. No, Tar is a better version of this movie with a better lead performance, a lot more nuance, a funnier, more ironic ending, and a um, little bit more true to life, uh, which, you know, I mean, obviously, Tar is a hyper-realistic movie and Dream Scenario is a fantasy movie, but uh, I think that these... I, yeah, I think these messages just work better in a, in a movie that's more emotionally true to life and mm -hmm. realistic. Um, and tar, yeah, I mean, it, it, they're so similar. This is basically tar as directed by Ari Aster, <laughs> which sounds great, right? Like that's yeah. a good pitch. Uh, you know, tar, tar is better. Yeah, yeah. 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 What about, what about you, Dan? What, what movie would you recommend to either, you know, fans of dream scenario or instead of dream scenario? Um, I'm going to go with kind of the, the the easy pick because it's easy for a reason. Uh, also, 
<laughs> Inception. Now, also starring Nick Cage, adaptation is a great uh, counterpoint to this one. Like those, like they have very similar styles. They really play around with the form. Um, they, you know, they fuck around with reality a little bit, and you know, say a little bit about life and our current yeah. condition. Great. And like I said, this is very Charlie Kaufman esque as well. So, uh, or at least like early Charlie Kaufman before Charlie Kaufman got so Charlie Kaufman that he out Charlie Kaufman to Charlie Kaufman. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of ending things half a star out of five. (laughs) I will say, I think I've said this on recording too, where I read his 700-page novel that is very similar in tone and like recursiveness and meta-irony and stuff like that. And that was uh, fun for about 150 pages. Yeah, I'll skip that one. (laughs) But yeah, I I think that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all we got here. We got nothing of value. I think we're uh, if we try and bring up anything else, we're just working on fumes. Uh, so, uh, Jared, I'll let you kick it off. I got a super joke. Oh, great. Well, thanks for tuning in for Concessions. I'm Jared. And I'm Dan. And be careful with your sphincters when you're about to nut.